This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Redemption. Our reading this morning, we're going to start in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, then we're going to skip over to chapter 2, where we'll be reading 4 through verse 17. 15? You sent me a text on 17. (laughs) 15, okay. All right. So you have to forgive me if I just run right through to 17, but I'll stop at 15. Okay. All right. Very, very good. Then God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had caused it, not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was coming up from the land and was watering the face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The first river is the Pishon. It was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. And the third, the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day, you shall surely die. And I did it. I ran over. <laughs> I got into the flow, and it's like, oh. Talk about sin and stuff. I get it. That's good. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it a lot. Uh, all right, so you've heard the saying probably, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. And uh, whoever that fisherman is, he's better than me because I can't catch fish. But anyway, let's just say that's a, that's a saying, and it's, a, it's true. Um, uh, but it teaches something. And I wanna, I wanna suss that out a little bit deeper this morning, if I can. Because think about it, what we're really saying there is there's something about handing somebody a product, and there's something different about giving somebody principles to create their product on their own. So again, I can, I can give you a fish, that's the product, or I can teach you to fish, those are the principles to learn how to do it on your own. And this is true for a lot of things. Like, uh, I could give you a recipe for sausage gravy, 
and you could follow the recipe bit by bit, and at the end, by following the recipe, you'd have sausage gravy. The problem is, whenever you wanna make that gravy, you're gonna have their recipe in front of you. How much better to teach you the principles of how to make good gravy? Like you need equal parts fat and uh, flour, and then you let that just cook for a bit until it gets nice golden brown. And then you get your whisk out and you put the liquid in, whatever it is, milk or broth or whatever, and you just keep mixing that until it gets there and you let it thicken a little bit. Then you put your spices in and that's good gravy. So now, with all of that, and you're getting hungry, aren't you? Uh, biscuits and gravy are good any time of the day. Can I get a witness? I mean, they really are. All right, all right. Uh, but the principle being is that, is that now you know how to make gravy, and it's not just following a recipe, it's the principles underneath it, and that applies to so many things. You can go to any of these fancy little, you know, learn how to paint places, and they'll talk you through in one evening, do this and do this and do this, and you'll end up with a painting. But how much better to learn the principles of art and painting to paint whatever you want or build a house, or you get the idea. Well, this is true for theology as well. You can come to a church, and you have the pastor tell you, this is what you need to believe. Boom, 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 boom. And you can walk away with good theology, or maybe not, depending on the pastor, depending on who's preaching that Sunday here at Redemption. But uh, you can walk away with good principles, or, or maybe not. Or what we can do instead is teach you good theology. You say, I don't, I don't want you to be like that church member that was asked, well, what do you believe? And he said, well, I believe what my pastor believes. Well, what does your pastor believe? Well, he believes just like me. Like, I don't want that. I want you to be able to have a good foundation and, and principles on which to build. Because when you have the right theology underneath you, so many of the decisions of life or the perspectives and views, even politically speaking, kind of fall into place with the right principles and theology. And the one we're talking about over the course of the next two weeks is really important. And it's the image of God, or we often use the Latin, the Imago Dei. The idea behind this is that we were created in the image of God. When you really understand that and believe that, so much else kind of falls into place. So here's the big idea I'm after for the next two weeks. I will bear the image of God in my life. This is such an important thing. I will bear the image of God in my life. And so I wanna talk this morning about, okay, what does that mean? Where is this coming from, this concept of the image of God? And then what I wanna do is get into, okay, here's some implications of that. So because of the theology, here are some ways it applies. Next week, I wanna talk about a little bit of, okay, what are some cultural implications based on this idea of the image of God? And then, okay, how do I, what are some personal impacts or personal life implications that I need to think through? That's next week. So today, let's dive into this. Let's talk a little bit about the meaning. The meaning, what does it mean when we say we are created in the image of God? Well, first of all, it's coming from Genesis 1, 26 uh, and on. So here, here we go, let's look at Genesis 1, 26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. By the way, this is why it is perfectly okay to smash spiders, okay? You have dominion. Everyone say this, say, I have dominion. That's right, the spiders need to learn who has dominion. Can I get a witness? Uh, anyway, but, but we had, and then, then it goes on to talk about uh, man and, and some beautiful things that are there. But, but, but this is, is taught very, very clearly here. T two key things. All right, first of all, number one is this. 
Do you notice how you have this listed in creation? And then take a look at chapter two. What happens in chapter two? God actually kind of zooms in on the creation of man. So he mentions it in chapter one, but you got now this whole chapter that's devoted to really sussing out what happened in the creation of man. And that's unique. No other part of creation gets its own special section like that. In fact, the stars, the whole universe, is like a little footnote in Genesis 1, and the stars. And yet that's the whole expanse of the universe. But man, he focuses in, he really talks about the creation of man. It really tells us that man is the pinnacle of God's creation. The other really important thing to, to notice is what he says about man. So looking back at verse number 26, he says this, let us make man, do you hear, see it here? In our image, after our likeness. He says it again in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. No other part of creation gets that nomenclature. None of us, no other part of creation, it says that you are created in the image or the likeness of God. We're the only ones. This makes man unique. And it's not an exaggeration at all to say man was the pinnacle of God's creation. So then what does it mean? This idea of, okay, we're created in the image of God. So what, what, what is that? Well, I'll take a look at a couple words here. Uh, go back to verse number 26, where it says, let us make man in our image. It says, after our likeness. So here's something to note. We are like God. We are like God. We're like him. In what way are we like him? Now, some theologians have debated this over and over again. Like, what exact attributes of God do we have that make us in the image of God? And it's really hard to nail it down. And I don't, I don't, Grudem thinks it's a moot point, and I kind of agree with Grudem. Because I try to find the exact little one thing that is there, the reality is we're like God in many ways. In fact, the same language is used in Genesis chapter five. Let's look at Genesis chapter five and verse number one. Genesis chapter five, verse number one says this. You see very similar language used. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, here it is, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and he named them man uh, when they were created. By the way, do you know the Hebrew word for man? It's Adam. I'm reminded of this every week where Adam says, my name is man in Hebrew. So anyway, we, we get it, all right. Uh, but anyway, th that's what he named man. So then verse number th three, now watch this. When, uh, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, watch this now, in his own likeness and after his image and named him Seth. Now, we can talk about how we're created in the image of God. Does that mean that we have emotions like God? Does that mean that we have dominion and rule? Does that mean that we have intellect? And okay, all the above. Because it's kind of like having kids. So here's a picture of, this is actually me when I was about 20 years old. And this is a picture of Landon at about the same age and Grant at about the same age. So that picture should be, there it is. Coming up, aha, there it is. So there's me about 20-ish years old. And uh, I had a flat top for many years, and uh, Dave, I'm going back. That just looks too good not to do it again. No, Courtney says no. All right, so that's a hard no on that one then. Uh, but no, you look at this, and you know, it, it, what ways are my boys like me? Well, look at Landon's face and look at my face, and uh, there's a whole lot of similarities. So by the way, buddy, this is your future, all right? 
and uh, you are welcome, all right? It's a good future for, for you, for sure. Uh, so Landon's tall like I am. He's actually a little taller than I am, uh, and we, we look a lot alike. We have a lot of same facial features. Uh, so you, you see, he has my color eyes. He has the same hair. All that's the same. Um, now, Grant doesn't look like me. He took after Courtney's father, really. He looks a lot like Courtney's dad. Uh, but there's ways that Grant and I are alike. We're both in ministry. We both love music. Uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of ways in which we are alike. And in the same way, there are a lot of ways that we are like God. Not exactly like that. The boys aren't exactly me. We're different still. I'm greater than. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> In a lot of ways, they are like me. So one of the meanings behind the Hebrew here is we are like uh, God. Uh, now, another way, though, and, and so now look, look back at your text. I'm going to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 1 again because the word likeness is used, but you also see the word image used a lot too, right? So the image after our image after our image. The idea is like icon or uh, this. We represent God. We are representatives of God. So we are like him, but we also show the world kind of what God is like. Here's an example of that. So this is a... Um, a Get ready to be envious. You're all gonna be envious. This is my World War II war table that I have at home, okay? This is it. And what you see is that is a World War II-era American Sherman tank. And it done got blown up. That's why there's smoke coming out of it. Uh, but, but you see that this tank uh, is not a real Sherman tank. But it looks like one. And it's modeled after one. And by looking at the tank, you can, this little image, this little icon, this little printed version of it, you can see there's a lot of similar, I mean, you can tell a lot about the Sherman tank. Get an idea of how big the turret is, get an idea of how, what the size of the tank was, the shape of the tank. And there's a lot to learn about the Sherman tank by looking at the icon, the image, the representation of that. Now listen, in the same way, check this out. You can show elements of God you represent God. You show the world what God is like. Well, who, the fish or the birds? No, no, each other, mankind. You show people what God is like when you live like God. So listen, as you live out the attributes that you possess that are like God, you can show the world how good our God is, and in that way, you can bring God glory like no other part of creation can you can show them what God is like. Now, this is gonna become a key verse over the course of the next two weeks. And in fact, I'm gonna challenge you to put this verse to memory. But here's this verse, and I love it. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why is that? Why did God choose us? Here it is. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why you exist, to proclaim, to show forth his excellencies. And when you live in the likeness of God, when you bear his image, man, you show the world how awesome our God is. All right, so teach a man to fish or give him a fish. So here are the principles that I want you to really understand about all of this, and it's this. All humans are created in the image of God. Uh, how many humans? All humans are created in the image of God. We are like God in many ways. 
And when we represent God and show his attributes and glory to one another, we can represent God and show his attributes and glory to one another. Okay, great. Those are the principles. So how does that exactly change or actually change the way that I live and think? Because it should. These are important things. So let's take the rest of this morning and let's do this. Let's talk about the impact, the impact. So the meaning, we got an idea of what the meaning is. Now let's dive in and talk about the impact of all of this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down, because I know we gave you blank notes, and the reason why is because I completely changed my outline uh, yesterday morning. So um, the, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this phrase down. Write this down. Say, because I was made in the image of God. Write that out. Because I was made in the image of God. Then I'm gonna give you uh, five different impacts that we have from that. So letters A through E. Because I was made in the image of God, then what does that mean? Well, here's the thing number one I want to uh, show you. And that is, I have value from God. I have value from God. So I'm about to make a statement that uh, is not gonna sit well with you initially because of the culture and world we, we have grown up in this is gonna sit a little different for you. So here's a statement. I took a drink to add to the suspense. Did you feel it? Did you feel the tension? Um, you are more important than plants. You are more important than plants. And you are more important than animals. What? Yes, it's true. You have more value than a plant, and you have more value than animals. This is, this is not popular philosophy in our world. Um, I grew up in Washington State, so that was West Coast. By the way, West Coast culture is way different than Midwest culture. And uh, growing up on the West Coast, man, I was like an anomaly because I was a conservative. Uh, you know what I mean? So I was like weird. Uh, and, but I remember like these are values that I held. And uh, my senior year, I was a drum major for the marching band. And that means I got to spend a lot of time with my band director, Fred Dole. Now, Fred Dole and I were, I mean, I love this man. Uh, when I was in junior high, I wanted to play French horn in the band, and, and, but I couldn't afford to rent it. We just were very, very poor. And uh, uh, he said, listen, here's what I'll do. I'm going I'm to let you borrow this French horn, and then you can work it off for me. And I said, okay. And so every, every week, I'd be like, when do you want me to do something? I'll do something. Yeah, ask me next week. So I asked him next week, when do you want me to do something? And one where he, eventually he said, if you quit asking me, I just might forget. And so I stopped asking him. And for all of junior high, all of senior high, like I never had to rent the French one. He just let me borrow it the whole time. And just a really, really loving guy, great teacher. Uh, but we had this conversation one time on the way to a marching band competition. I remember him saying to me, you're no more valuable than a weed. You're no, no more valuable than a rabbit. You're no more valuable than any other living thing. We all have the same value because we're all living things. And I, okay, all right. That sounds right until you get the Bible open. And the Bible says uniquely of you that you were created, how? In the image of God. In fact, look what Jesus has to say about this. He says this in Matthew 6, 20, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now look what it says. Are you not of more value than they? It's a rhetorical question, which the answer is yes. Obviously, 
We're more valuable than a sparrow. Now, by the way, there's a lesson here for those of us who tend to struggle with anxiety a little bit. Uh, this spring, go out and just watch sparrows in your yard. And what you're, you're gonna watch is that stupid sparrow is gonna find a worm. Blame Google, because I said sparrow finding a worm, and that's what it gave me, and Google's not wrong, okay? It's never wrong. Watch a robin in your yard this spring. Watch that robin. And it will find, a, only you would know. Anyway, it would find a worm, but it's gonna find a worm. Now, and by the way, no one in the first service even noticed. They just let me go. But you get out there in the grass and you try to find a worm that way. You'll, be, you know, eh, and you'll never find one. But that bird, boom, is gonna find one right away. Why? Because your heavenly father feeds them. And if God will feed a, a, a robin, a robin? <laughs> God will feed a random generic bird, then he's gonna feed you. He's gonna care for you. Oh, you have little faith. It's a good reminder for those of us who struggle with anxiety. But point is, Jesus said, you're more valuable than they. And we, we, we know this already. Okay, here's a picture of my family. This is all of my family. I got my actual kids and my wife, and I got our dogs. And if you don't know anything about us, man, we are dog people. And that is Lila and Sadie. Lila's a Bernadoodle. Sadie's a Golden Doodle. And that headcock thing, isn't that so cute? And it's adorable. Now, you need to know, we... Love, love, love our dog. Courtney really loves dog. Courtney, when we're driving down the road and she sees other dogs in other people's cars, she talks to them. Even though the windows are up, and they're, they're, she said, oh, are you on a ride with your mommy and daddy today? And we highly value our, our puppies, but let's just say something happened to the Hart family and we can't feed everybody. Who's gonna starve? Yeah, well, that too. What we're not gonna do is say, okay, who here uh, brings in the least amount of money? Uh, you know, of, of the kids. We're not gonna do that. It, that would probably be Maddie Grace, though she got a job at Chipotle now, so she's working at Chipotle. Oh, it's, yeah. And she comes home, she's got her cute little hat on and her little outfit on, and I'm like, oh, are you pretending like you work at Chipotle? That's so cute. <laughs> she, she works at Chipotle, so, she'd be, so we're not gonna do that. Uh, we're also not gonna say, okay, which of you guys cost us the most money? By the way, probably still Maddie Grace. Uh, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna do that. The dogs aren't making it. The dogs aren't, I mean, cause, why? Because they're dogs. They're, we love them, but they're not as valuable as our kids. Our kids have more value. We have a unique value from God. Does that all make sense? So, so, so that, that's, that's important when it comes to this idea of the image of God, the Imago Dei. You have value, unique value over any other part of creation. Not popular, but theologically accurate. But then there's this also, write this down. I have value from God. This is really important too. I have a stewardship from God. I have a stewardship from God. There's a word that's used several times here and also other places in the Bible. It's this word dominion. And if you look at verse number 26 again in your words, we've talked about likeness, talked about image. Uh, let's talk about this now and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over all the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So get this idea of dominion. By the way, David taught the same thing in Psalm 8, where he said, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. 
Okay, so we have this idea of dominion. So what does that mean? We have rule. Does that mean we get to do whatever we want to to this planet? We can do whatever we want to to the earth and all the animals. No, no, no. God wants you to care for it. Take a look at Genesis 2.15. It's right in the text, Genesis 2.15, which is why I had the scripture readers end there. Just kidding. Uh, Genesis 2.15, which says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. God had a plan for man to care for his creation. So that means we should be people who care for the creation. That sounds a little liberal, Pastor. Listen, it's not about being politically right. It's about being biblically right. And there's a whole bunch of stuff to suss out there that I'm not saying, so don't go say that I believe things I don't believe. What I do believe, hear me say this, is we should be caring for this world. Yes, you're of more value than uh, the animals. Yes, you're of more value than the rivers, but it doesn't mean that we go dump toxic waste into the rivers in Fort Wayne. Someone did at some point, because they're nasty, aren't they? They're just nasty, they know they're working on them. But the point is, is that we, we are to care for them. We're to care for them. And so yes, let's care for this planet. Don't be a litter bug. Uh, you know, I just care for the planet. All right, now that means something. And here's another kind of implication that I'm, I'm tying into stewardship. Uh, I could have sussed it out on its own, but let, let me just tie it into here. And this is the idea of, of this. You were created for something. That's really, really awesome. Look at 2.15 again. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to what? Do you see what it says? And the man and took the man, put him in the garden to, to work, to work. Church, this is before the fall. Before there was a weed, before there was anything like that to corrupt the earth, God still planned for man to work the earth. In fact, this is from um, Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp said this. One of the misconceptions of people is that work is the result of the fall. That's not true. God assigned work to Adam and Eve in that perfect paradise, perfect people, in a perfect relationship to God, everything in its right place, everything doing what it was meant to do in the shalom. Remember last week, in the shalom, the all is as it should be of the garden. God assigned Adam and Eve to work the garden, to dress it, to care for it, to manage it. They were assigned work so that part of the dignity of my place in God's economy and the way he decided to rule his world is that I'm called to work. Isn't that cool? And you see it all over the Bible. In fact, this is Proverbs 10, which says this, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. He who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 6, you're familiar with this. Um, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. God meant for us to work. And here's a key verse for that. Write this down, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men. Would you read this with me? Let's read it together. Whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men. All right, here's why this is important. Uh, there is a, was a study done that um, said that 85% of people who are employed full-time, 85% hate their jobs. 
you're probably like, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> and it's easy to do. It's easy to, to hate. Now, I gotta say, I'm blessed that I really do love my job. It doesn't mean that every Monday I'm driving in like, yes, I have uh, bread truck Mondays. You know what bread truck Mondays are for pastors? Okay, bread truck Mondays are the Mondays when I'm driving in and I see the guy driving the bread truck and I'm like, what's his life like? Driving around, listening to the radio all day, smelling warm baked bread. A bad day is when his tire gets flat. And, and, but you know what? Tomorrow's bread's gonna be delivered tomorrow too, so he's good, you know? There are days when I envy the bread truck guy, but for the most part, I love my job. But most of us, or most people, 85%, they don't like their job. Here are the three main reasons. Number one, they don't like their boss, their manager or the supervisor or whatever's above them. They don't like that guy, so they don't like their job. Or they don't like their colleagues. It makes sense, and these are the people you work with most of the time. Maybe I don't like my colleagues, that's why I don't like my job, okay? That's another reason. Another one is, well, this is not the type of work I wanted to do. It's interesting when you see how many people just kind of slip into some, you know, they had dreams about something. I had a dream about being this, I had a dream about being that. And, uh, and, and you're not that now. And so now you just don't like the type of work that you're doing. So how do, you, how do you manage all of that? How do you manage going into work every day and I don't like my boss or I don't like my colleagues? Like, what do you do with that? Well, uh, here's what you do, Colossians 3.23. Yep, uh, whatever you do, work how? As for the Lord, and I'm not working for my boss. I'm not working for my colleagues. I was created in the image of God. Yes, God rested on the seventh day, but he labored for six days. And I'm like God in the fact that I have to put my hand to the plow. I mean, to work. I work. And, and I'm going to work for God's glory. I'm going to work to show the world how great God is, to declare his excellencies, no matter what I'm doing. All right? All right. I have, so these are the impacts. Uh, one impact is I have value from God, more valuable than any other part of creation. Another, I have stewardship from God, so I gotta care for the earth, I gotta work the earth. Here's another way that you're like God, you can display his glory. Uh, I have emotions like God. Uh, okay, do you, do you know that our God is a God of emotion? I'm asking because some of you grew up Baptist. Uh, do you know that our God is God of emotion. I know, it's harsh, isn't it? Uh, I grew up Baptist, so I can say that. I can pick on Baptists. I can pick on Kentucky, because I'm Kentuckian. You get it, right? All right. But I have a, we, God is a God of emotion. And, and listen, we can show how amazing our God is when we bear the emotions that God has for the reason God has them. Like, for example, joy. Do you know that Jesus was, a, 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 was joyful? Yeah, he was a man of sorrows, but he also was a man of joy. Well, how do you know that? Well, here's John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We see this again in Philippians from uh, Paul. He said this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Try the same thing to you as no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. To rejoice or to have joy in the Lord. So when life's going the way it's going for you, probably not according to the script that you would write. And yet, you have joy. You're living in the Sabbath of God. You're living in the shalom, the everything is as it should be regardless of the circumstances, and you have a joy in you, you're giving God glory. 
you're reflecting something that, that's like God to, to the world around you. Plants don't have that joy. Rocks don't have that joy. You have that joy, Michelle. Uh, how about anger? Is that an okay emotion? Is God angry sometimes? You know, the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Church, are there some things we should be angry about? Across the nation, I think the church has gone milk toast about some issues it should not be milk toast about. We should be angry at sex trafficking, which is the majority of pornography. We should be angry at in right, unjust injustice. We should be angry about the abortion issues. We should be angry about, forgive me for this, actually don't, because I'm, I'm angry about it. We should be angry about men dressing up as women and reading books to little kids. It should anger us. It's not okay. And uh, now, we take that anger and that energy and we use it for the glory of God. Our problem is we get angry at the wrong things. Like the guy who cuts you off when you're driving. That's not me, that's Courtney. So just so you know, that's some things should get us angry. How about how about love? So talking about emotions from God. So we'd have joy like God, be angry like God. We can love like God. Think about how loving like God displays his glory. Fathers, think about how when you love your children like God loves us, how you can show your kids how good God is because of your love for them. They see it. They know what it feels like because you're spreading that to them, pouring that on them. Husbands, when you love your wives as Christ loved the church, that's what sanctifies the wife according to Ephesians 5. And when you're loving her and loving her and she sees and feels what it feels like to, to be loved by God, you're displaying his glory. You are a representative of God's love to the world. Saying it again, you are a representative of God's love to the world. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know you are my disciples, church, if you have love for one another. And we love like God. We display his glory. Let's love one another well. Another way we display God's glory. We have value from God. We have a stewardship from God. We have emotions like God. Also this, I have a soul to worship God. The Bible says that God is Spirit. And he's put in us, uniquely, he's put in us a spirit. Yeah, I know you can teach your puppy to pray. And you'll say, pray, Fido. And he'll get up on his thing and go, and you'll be like, oh, he's praying. No, he's not. He's not praying. He doesn't have a soul, which is probably why dogs don't go to heaven. They might, but probably don't. Cats for sure don't. We know that already. That's... <laughs> in theology someplace, it's written down in the Bible. Uh, but yeah, I know, I know. So some of you love cats more, it's okay. The point being is that, is that your animals don't have a soul to worship God. Now they bring God glory because they show his creation, all of that, but they don't wor we can worship God. Man, when you were singing that song, I love that last song we just sang. I, I didn't hear it until this morning, the first service, and I'm like, yeah, it's a good song. Battle's already won, baby. We're living in the one victory of Jesus Christ. 
I love that line, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. Boy, that resonates in my soul. And I can say, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your amazing grace to me. And my soul is worshiping God. When you write, maybe some of you love to write, when you write your poetry or your whatever you write and you're just worshiping your God, man, that's a beautiful thing that, that God has given you that's like him. You have a soul like God and you can do that. When you sing, when you create art, whatever you're doing, man, living your life and honoring him, your worship is something you have that is unique to you, that is like God and what he's given to reflect his glory. But then lastly, let's talk about this one. <clears throat> ways in which the imago Dei, the image of God, impact my daily life. Here it is, huge way. I have a relationship with God. No other part of creation can relate to God like we relate to God. This is from uh, Paul Chip's book, Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer. Really cool, check this out. He says this. Immediately after creating Adam and Eve, God talks to them. He didn't do this with anything else he created. He simply rested and moved on. Why did God talk to them? God knew that even though Adam and Eve were perfect people living in perfect relationship with him, they could not figure out life on their own. <laughs> they were created to be dependent. They did not need this help because they were sinners. They needed help because they were humans. We need God. Everyone say that with me. We need God. We absolutely need God. And you can have him. When you believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose again, when you call on God to save you from your sin based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when you do that, you're made a new creature and you can have a relationship. That means tomorrow, listen, you're gonna wake up tomorrow and there's probably gonna be some things coming your way that you can't figure out on your own. Good news, you have God. There's gonna be some things that'll make your stomach churn and your heart drop in the coming days, weeks, months, whatever. And you need God. And you can have him because he created you like him so you can have a relationship with him. Do you see how much this impacts? At the beginning of the week, I'm like, how am I gonna get one sermon out of the Imago Dei, the image of God? Yeah, we got two. Uh, we got two out of it. So next week, we'll come back and we'll talk more. But here's how I wanna kind of close it out today and, and for next week. So, so what do you do? So okay, often like in a sermon, um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to stir your heart to something. And so I'll have the worship team come up and we will have a song and we'll try to stir your heart up to go and live a certain way. That's, that's one thing we do. Uh, sometimes we'll end with a prayer, calling, calling out to God. Uh, I, what, what I wanna do, because again, we're applicational preaching. I wanna help you live this stuff. Here's, here's my challenge to you. I wanna challenge to you in these next two weeks to memorize this verse. 1 Peter 2, 9. Put it to memory that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When I ask you to memorize that verse, here's why this sums up the life impact of living in the Imago Dei. God has made you like him to show the world how great he is. And when you bear the image of God to the world around you, you display his excellencies. You proclaim 
proclaim his excellencies. So I would have you to memorize that as kind of a challenge for that. All right, I'm gonna pray and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much for this principle, this key principle that guides the way I think about life. Help me to live in it. But mostly, God, I, the world needs to know you and the world needs to see you. And as your image bearer, I show the world who you are. Would you help me become more like you? But also, Father, would you glorify yourself in me? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you are loved.